Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Hello, and welcome to Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Erica McAfee. Erica is the founder and CEO of Sisters in Loss, a maternal child health company that helps Black women replace silence with storytelling around pregnancy and infant loss and infertility. She is also a certified birth and bereavement doula, doula trainer, and mentor, and mom to two babies in heaven and one rainbow baby, Maxwell, also known as Super Mighty Max. Sisters in Loss provides pregnancy, birth, postpartum, bereavement, and grief services to help women step beyond anxiety and fear and into trust and peace after loss. Its self-titled podcast spotlights resilient Black mothers who share intimate details of their journey to motherhood through painful but inspirational loss and infertility stories. Welcome, Erica, to the show. So great to have you join me. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm very excited. We have a lot to talk about. So you are a chemical engineer, a preacher's wife. You're a special needs mom to six-year-old Super Mighty Max, your rainbow baby. You're a grief Mm -hmm. specialist, a doula. And on top of all of that, you have created this platform for resources, encouragement, and connection for women who are experiencing loss. Like, yeah, you're busy. Yes, I have. It's been such a uh, an assignment that I'm on now, and I'm I'm grateful to be able to connect people this way and give them, you know, alternative tools to on their journey to motherhood. Mm-hmm. And in the Sister in Loss podcast has close to 200 published episodes and over 7,500 social followers. I mean, you've held summits and events and helped to support and normalize loss for countless women. So I'm curious, did you have all of this in mind when you first decided to share your story? Or like, what was your initial goal? (laughs) No, I did not have this in mind. Um, Obviously, I have been an avid podcast listener prior to um, starting a podcast. And most of the podcasts that I listened to were more, you know, like almost like NPR, talk radio, finance, motivational self-help. And I really didn't listen to many podcasts that focused on loss and infertility until I started wanting to go down the road of exploring um, gestational um, surrogacy, you know, and that's how we got, I connected with you to come on the podcast. And I really wanted to explore that part of it along with sharing my story. Obviously, since, you know, I, I started the podcast back in August of 2017, and it grew so much within that first year that when uh, this all happened around the same time, Michelle Obama's book came out, mm-hmm. Gabrielle Union started to share more about um, her Journey. her struggle through endometriosis, adenomyosis, and struggle through getting pregnant. And there, um, Candy Burris talked about her journey to motherhood. This all came out around the same time in 
that November, October, November, December of 2018. And I realized then that, oh my gosh, I'm going to actually have more stories than I can even place on the podcast because a lot more people are more willing to share because they've seen, you know, other influential women who have gone through the same struggles, you know, they've gone through loss. They've, they've gone through, um, a journey through, um, IVF and using alternative reproductive treatments or using IUIs to try to get pregnant or, you know, that may not be in the cards for them. And they are going down the route of what, what does it look like for a black couple in the U S to actually explore gestational surrogacy and have a gestational carrier? And I wanted to give us that place to have those conversations. So no, I didn't really, I would say just my birth story in general, you know, losing two babies, you know, having a traumatic birth with my rainbow baby, Maxwell, really got me into this work. But I realized then, you know, a year into it, that it was bigger than me. I figured that, you know, this is a great platform for people to share their stories, but also get a wealth of knowledge on their journey to parenthood, no matter what it looks like. Cause it, cause obviously everyone has this idea in their mind that they have a normal menstruation cycle. They ovulate once a month. They have this six day window, they get pregnant. And then nine months, 10 months later, a baby comes, but that is not everybody's case. And in some cases, some people have to use alternative paths to get to become parents whether that is actually, you know, fostering to adopt, adopting, or using a surrogate. And I love what you do, obviously, because you really push this within the community and beyond, but to, to, to normalize it by sharing your story about being an egg donor and freezing your eggs and really getting those resources out there so people will know, you know, there's someone that looks like me that's done this before. You know, I've, you know, I've actually done it and now I'm helping other people carry out their dreams of becoming parents. So, you know, I, I still have, I still, it still blows my mind today. Like, oh my gosh, you know, when, when I have people that are, are in my circle of influence are people who that weren't there, you know, when I first started and it's just new people that keep coming in and I'm just creating new relationships um, online and offline with people in the community. It's just, it's just a overwhelming blessing. And my goal is to continue to connect those people who are really going through the struggle and giving them that place and that voice to say that they're not alone, that they don't have to remain silent around it and that they have a sisterhood that's really going to lift them up and support them as they navigate their journey. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it is so important to, to talk about um, our own experiences, because I feel like once somebody hears that they're not the only ones going through that and somebody has already endured it and they're willing to share you know, what they have experienced and, and what they have actually endured, I think really does make a significant impact. I know that one of your taglines for Sisters in Loss is there is testimony in tragedy and, and you're there to help women turn their, quote, pain into purpose after loss. May I ask for you to tell us a bit about your own journey with loss and, and family building? Yes. So um, I was married in 2012, um, got married in 2012, shortly found out after that I was expecting. Um, I had been off of 
birth control for some time. I just didn't like the way the hormones worked with my body. So at the time, I didn't know it. I actually was practicing some some fertility awareness and actually tracking my cycle. And I knew when I ovulated and all of the above, <laughs> even back then um, um, at 20, I think I was 25 at the time, I actually knew how that process worked just by, you know, Googling and figuring out how can I maintain and not get pregnant. So I got pregnant. We went through um, the whole pregnancy um, and then got to about 38 weeks. And I started to, um, it was the time in the pregnancy where you go to the doctor, you know, every week. Mm -hmm. And the doctor started to see my blood pressure start to escalate. Um, And they did a, we ended up doing two appointments that week. I ended up doing a 24 hour urine sampling so that they can really see um, if I was starting to show signs of preeclampsia. So after that analysis was complete, I turned it into the hospital. And then the next morning they called and was just like, we need you to come in. And nine times out of 10, you're going to get admitted and induced. So go ahead and bring all everything you need for this baby to the hospital. And my OBGYN clinic was right beside the hospital. So it was, you know, it's just one of those things you go to the clinic and then we drive around and you're right at the, the, the labor and delivery if we need to get you checked in. And essentially that's what happened. So I went in um, at that time. I was about 39 weeks and went through the induction process overnight. They started Pitocin. Went through labor pretty much all day and then right at shift change, a new doctor came in and they were just like, you know, you're not progressing. Or at that time, I actually was about 10 centimeters and um, baby just wouldn't come down through my pelvic bone area and was kind of stuck. So um, since I had an epidural and I couldn't really move, the doctors was just like, okay, well, uh, we're going to give you another two hours and we're going to go ahead and do a prep you for a C-section. So essentially I pushed for another two hours. Baby still wouldn't move, end up doing a C-section. You know, baby's alive and well, no issues. So got into the C-section room. They, they cut me open, pulled baby out and baby squirming, but baby did not cry. And I knew something was wrong then because most babies cry when they come out <laughs> and even in C-section. So the doctors worked fervently on my child for about 41 minutes and then pronounced him dead, uh, rolled me into the recovery room after they stitched me up. And I was faced with you know, leaving the hospital empty handed without my son and really had to pick up the pieces of my life literally on my three month maternity leave, really trying to understand why this happened to me. So I went through that process, got therapy, got couples therapy and really tried to get to a place of healing and wholeness that I could try again. And I ended up trying again. I got pregnant again, had another pregnancy. Um, My son ended up having complications um, due to some overdeveloped lungs. So his lungs just would not oxygenate once they came, once he actually was born. And obviously for those who are listening, your baby's lungs don't have any air pockets in them, obviously, while they are in utero. You are breathing for them through your placenta. And Uh, Once babies come out, that's when their lungs start to um, oxygenate and get air to them. And if they obviously, if there's something wrong with the lungs, if they're under mature or over mature or just some genetic issue, that babies won't 
their lungs won't actually get the air they need. And essentially that's what happened with my son. They ended up doing an autopsy and testing a lot of his, his tissue of his lungs to make sure, you know, it wasn't a genetic issue that I would have going into another pregnancy. So with my daughter, we did a bunch of genetic testing. I knew pretty much at like 12 weeks what I was having because, um, the, you know, if it was going to be a boy or a girl based off of just wanting to be cautious in that pregnancy. And then I ended up um, having her early um, at 18 weeks due to another issue, cervical insufficiency, where my cervix opened up early um, just due to the weight of the baby in the second trimester. So um, both of those losses happened within the first two years of my marriage. It was devastating. I mean, we went through it all, ups and the downs, and just really trying to acknowledge and understand, you know, why um, our faith was being tested in that way and why couldn't I sustain a pregnancy? You know, it was, I didn't have an issue on the fertility front of actually getting pregnant. It was just staying pregnant for me or being able to bring a healthy baby home. And I really wanted to, I really struggled with that. I struggled with my faith and just asking God, why, why did I go through this? Why are you really testing me why are you why why me you know am i supposed to go through this to help others you know i really i really had to journal it out and really work through feelings of grief and then what people expected of me whether it was in the church or my family or just my friend circle at the time and i got to a place where i was comfortable with sharing more um, and being more vocal about it on my you know, personal social media, whether it was Facebook or Instagram at the time. And I got confident enough to try again. So we tried again. We got pregnant with my son. And with my son, um, the third pregnancy, that was just everything, the, everything that I could have done in the previous two pregnancies I did in that third pregnancy. I journaled. I took pictures every week. You know, I documented everything. I had multiple doctors, a perinatologist or a maternal fetal medicine specialist at MFM. So I saw two doctors. Um, I essentially was in the doctor's office every week or every two weeks <laughs> because I just wanted to make sure that this baby was good, that nothing was going to happen. Um, I ended up having a surgery about 19 weeks or cerclage or cervical stitch placed. So that baby would not, I wouldn't have a premature, um, going to premature labor like I did with my daughter, my second pregnancy. And I got all the way up to eight, 32 weeks in that pregnancy, ended up going into the hospital, just feeling some abdominal pain. It wasn't labor because I knew what labor felt like with my prior two pregnancies. The doctors immediately rolled me back and did a crash emergency C-section. They worked on me um, for about five hours oh my before my, my husband had to make the decision to give me a hysterectomy. Um, I lost um, so much blood. I had to get nine blood transfusions. My family was called in, you know, because my blood platelet count was so low. I mean, I literally almost lost my life having my son. And that was due to a placenta abruption where my placenta, it wasn't like a partial abruption or my placenta, my entire placenta completely detached from my uterus. So it was just a lot of hemorrhaging. My son was born, not breathing. They had to resuscitate him. He was able to be resuscitated. And as a result of that, my son has um, cerebral palsy. 
um, the more severe form of cerebral, cerebral palsy because of the lack of oxygen to his brain when he was born. Mm-hmm. But he is the light of my world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blessed to have a rainbow baby. Um, yes, um, although he is differently abled, you know, we know that he his life serves a purpose here on earth and that, you know, um, there's a ministry in everything that he does. Um, I always say there's a ministry in his smile because um, just just the, all of the pain and the things that he has to endure, you know, not being able to physically do a lot of the things that we do on a day to day basis. Um, but also just all of the the pain that came prior to him to be in here, you know, <laughs> to be in here on earth and being our miracle child. So that is where I am now. So I'm on my own infertility journey where, you know, I don't have a uterus and I still have my fallopian tubes. I still have my ovaries mm-hmm. and I'm exploring options around that. Mm-hmm. So that is a little bit about my journey <laughs> up until uh, now. <laughs> So many questions. So, well, first, I'm curious, did you feel alone or did you like going through this process? Did you feel supported when you went through all of these challenges and not just family and friends or whatever, but even supportive with the medical community? And and I know there's kind of a, a couple of questions in here, but also in regard to the medical community, do you feel that they did everything that they could have possibly done for all three of your pregnancies? Yeah, so um, that's such a great question. For my first pregnancy, the doctor woman who delivered me, actually, you know, she just so happened to be the lady on call. And for for those who are listening, you know, mostly when you go to uh, OBGYN clinic, you typically see every doctor who's there just because you just never know who's going to be on call. But it wasn't until my, and I had that loss where she took an interest in me and she was just like, you know, we're going to, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that you can bring a baby home. So in that case, I ended up staying with that same OBGYN provider. Um, I had um, her and another doctor work closely together in my second pregnancy. So when I did lose that second pregnancy, um, like I said, I did not feel like it was their fault. Obviously, you know, one thing when it comes to any type of cervical issues or issues in the uterus, you know, whether it's, you know, any other underlying conditions like fibroids, endometriosis, you know, typically a lot of OBGYNs will refer you out for specialists. In my case, I did not have um, anything that was blocking my uterus. The issues that I had were more ovary type issues like ovarian cysts. And my doctors felt like, you know, if I ha- I didn't really have an issue getting pregnant, it was just, you know, sustaining the pregnancy. So they felt like I didn't necessarily need to see a, a specialist or maternal fetal medicine, you know, doctor to really talk about that issue. So um, I ended up going to one of those just because of the cervical issue that I had and making sure that my cervix was still strong in my third pregnancy. But I ended up seeing two doctors throughout my second pregnancy, the same clinic, as well as the same two doctors in my third pregnancy. And just so happened that when I went to the emergency room for my third pregnancy, it was the same doctor who was on call who delivered my son. So she saved my life. She delivered my son, you know, two years prior, stillborn, stillborn, right? 
And then she literally saved my life in delivering my rainbow baby. So I, you know, I truly believe in making sure you're p- picking providers mm-hmm. who who are going to advocate for you as if they're your children. It doesn't matter what color their skin looks like. You know, you just want someone to know that you're being heard. If she did not, you know, when the doctor came into the ER and labor delivery and she saw me, she knew me, right? She knew my story. She knew I had two prior losses. She knew how much I wanted that pregnancy. And she immediately Immediately, I mean, I literally was in in the um, labor and delivery room no le- no less than fifteen minutes. Like they had just hooked the monitors up to my stomach and immediately rolled me back to the emergency room because she knew how strenuous and how um, you know time sensitive the issue was. If she would have waited, you know, 10, 15 more minutes, I don't think I would be alive because that's how much blood that was in my abdomen. Mm-hmm. So for her, for me to have that care that I received, I think, and, and for the attention to detail that those doctors did for me was paramount on me not being a statistic around, you know, black infant and maternal mortality. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a part of that morbidity number, obviously, because I almost lost my life. But thank God she knew, she knew me. She knew my story. She, we had a relationship. Yep. So she fought for me um, by saving, you know, working all she could. You know, I'm telling you, it was five hours. It literally mm-hmm. was five hours. They sent my husband home because they didn't want him to have to worry. You know, they sent him home and told him, hey, I need you to leave the hospital. They're still going to work to try to save her. So before he had to make the decision in order to really stop the bleeding and the hemorrhaging that was happening to give me a hysterectomy. But yeah, I credit having a provider that I know that trusted me, that really heard me when I told her that I know what labor feels like. This ain't labor, you know, and she and she trusted everything I said and used her instincts and reacted based on that. So for those of us who may think we need to switch providers based on our past history of losses or just infertility and just not being heard, switch those providers. Find someone who's listening. Find someone who really specializes in you <laughs> and, know, right. and know that they're going to advocate for you when you're unconscious and you can't speak for yourself. That's so true. I think that that had a huge um, function on why I am able to really share my story the way I am is because it just so happened she happened to be there. Now, if it was another doctor was on call, you know, granted, I, I believe God had his hand in all of this because who would have known the one day I went to the emergency room in the middle of the day, she would have been that person on call. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have never, you know, that 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 was nothing but God having his hand into that part of the, the story. But because I had a relationship with her, she fought for me just like I was her child. Yeah, which is... Amazing. And that's exactly what you want in a, in a medical provider, just mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's pregnancy or whether it's, it's something else, you want somebody that, you know, will speak up for you when you can't do it for yourself. So, and, you know, and going back to the first part of the question, um, and I'm sorry that I made it two part, but what about your family and friends, especially going through all the losses? And I know you mentioned that, you know, you were opened about sharing it, but how, how do you think or how do you feel you felt supported by them? 
Yes, I feel like my family and friends surrounded me with love. They may not know what to say and how to say it, but just being there, just just looking at me, you know, just, you know, doing what they knew how to do by, you know, whether it was cooking or cleaning or just, you know, ordering my favorite desserts. Like it's just just being there was enough. You know, I, I can remember at the time we lived further away from our family. So my family literally would get, got in their car and drove four or five hours just to just to look at me, you know, just to make sure that I was I was OK and that I was grieving the way I should be grieving and that, you know, everything I didn't have to worry about just any of the other household activities and things, they really took care of me in that manner. And I, it was recently during the holidays where I I talked to my mom about this and my mom was on a phone call talking to one of her friends and I overheard her state that she had three grandchildren. And I was like, three grandchildren? And I had to think about it for a minute. She's talking about my other two babies who are in heaven. And she said it was so much pride and how proud she was. And it just touched my heart because I don't think I've ever heard my mom articulate it that way, where she mentions her grandbabies that are in heaven. And um, that lets me know that it really, it really let me know. And for us to have a conversation about just how she grieved the loss, because, you know, obviously for my mother never experienced any, you know, child loss or anything, you know, she got pregnant early in her 20s, you know, she was 20 and 22 when she had me and my sister. So she was young and she ended up having, um, getting a hysterectomy early too. So she, you know, never really had to deal with all of the being pregnant in your, in your, um, late twenties and your, in your, in your thirties, she never really had to deal with that. So for her to share with me that me overhear that in a conversation and then for her to come back and say, yes, you know, she had to really grieve me losing the babies. It wasn't necessarily, you know, the loss of expectation for her too, because she wanted to be able to raise and have and, and be a grandparent to other babies um, versus, you know, um, the one that she does have here with my son. And she um, really articulated that to me. And I, I got a lot of clarity and closure on that because I don't think, I didn't really think that it impacted my um, mother in particular until I heard her say that. So I'm saying all that to say is that even this is like, you know, 10 years later, she's, she's still talking about it and are, you know, going through her own grief process. So it really doesn't matter. We all have our timelines on what it takes for us to get to a place of healing where we're able to experience express ourselves freely and and be sensitive to what what is actually happening but I'm I felt honored that my mother acknowledged it because a lot of people may not understand how impactful that is to for for someone to hear that let alone for her you know it was more so for her but it was really for me too to overhear her in that conversation and how healing that was to say for for her to say out loud that she has three babies mm-hmm. three grand three grandbabies and two of them are in heaven so i obviously you know all everyone else around me family and friends i i feel like i going through what I went through kind of set the tone of a lot of my family and friends where they've experienced losses and I've been able to walk alongside of them through miscarriage, through infertility diagnosis, through friends, 
going through the foster process or foster to adopt process and only really strengthen the relationships I have with people because people are able to be vulnerable to me because I've been more vocal. But it also has strengthened the relationships I have with everyone around me because I know I can be there to support them the way they showed up for me many, many, many years ago. Yeah. And and that's just the thing. I think a lot of times when somebody has a loss, you really often just think about your loss. You don't think about other people around you and how, because of course, there's a connection for them too. And, and there's a love that they have for that child, that they, although maybe they're not the, necessarily the ones carrying it, but it could be the dad, it could be the grandparents, it could be you know, a number of different family and friends that also care and how they're processing that loss. And I think sometimes we only have this tunnel vision, mm-hmm. what we're, you know, enduring and you don't even, and it's not even that you don't care. It's just that you don't even think to think about them. Right. So um, I'm wondering if we can actually talk a bit about how loss can include the loss of how you might become a parent. You know, so for many of the intended parents I work with, they have to mourn the loss of the idea that Mm -hmm. that is how they would become a parent. Even for you, you know, just like you said, you still have your fallopian tubes and, and hopefully in your ovaries and hopefully, you know, something, whatever might be coming down the pipeline for you. But I think though, there's still this mourning process that you have to endure because I know when I had my hysterectomy and I wasn't planning on having any more children, whether it was for myself or surrogate pregnancy or whatever, but I even still went through a loss in having to mourn the, the, my uterus, if you will, as crazy as that sounds. So how, like, what is your thoughts on that? No, I think that that is a part of the lost community, the loss of the expectation of, of what we could have with a child or the loss of a dream because for uh, for many mothers who have not who don't have the ability to get pregnant and stay pregnant that it's the dream of being able to feel this baby move in my belly and you know see the progression of my body changing and you know for me you know I have those same kind of feelings not having a uterus I physically can't carry a child anymore you know, although I have had the experience, it's just different. The fact that I know that I didn't, I didn't cherish and honor that time that I could do it. And then now when I want it, I can't, I can't experience it again. So it's the loss of what that expectation could be if I could just, you know, get pregnant just like that. Mm -hmm. So I believe that that is a big part of that ambiguous loss is what we call it in the lost community. It's just the, the expectation of what could have been and how we may have to change that trajectory to find joy in other parts of our journey to parenthood and um, really work through what that means for you. How does, how do you really feel about, you know, not having those tangible things or the tangible evidence of a baby growing in your belly and actually birthing a baby versus um, actually going through the foster care process or the adoption process, which is still a a faith walk, right? Going through just um, surrogacy, it's still a faith walk. You know, we don't know what the outcomes of any of those situations are no different than you being, you know, you and, and your partner actually getting pregnant and sustaining a pregnancy. So it's really walking through and talking through through that process 
collectively with you and your partner, but also um, with a therapist, because I think a therapist can help help um, you really flush that out and really understand how to navigate that journey and how to really work through this ambiguous loss and how you're feeling and how things around you as you live your day to day contribute back to those feelings. And then how can you lean in and push through and move forward with the next steps on your journey. But I think it's a huge part of the lost community that we don't talk about. And I'm so happy that you brought that up because for those of us who can't, who don't have the opportunity to have a child in the natural, you know, I believe God can do the supernatural and mm-hmm. move mountains out of the Mount- way. That's so right. That you can, so that you can, so that you can have the children that God intended you to have. It may not be in the traditional way, but however He sees fit, the 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 doors are open. It's just that we have to be willing to walk through them and really trust God and surrender to the process. Yeah, definitely. So going back, you mentioned also getting counseling and, and I know, you know, like with third party mental health is so important and quite honestly, often the first step when someone is starting to do the the third party reproduction journey, how important is grief counseling after someone has experienced the loss of a pregnancy, the loss of a child, or the the loss of the expectation of what you thought your family journey was going to be. Absolutely, the having a counselor or a therapist is extremely important, and I would stress that you get one immediately, and you may have to, you know, I say date around, like like you know. Figure out which counselor is the best fit for you in your situation. So you may go through, you know, two or three different therapists before you find someone who really um, understands you, you kind of vibe with, you really feel like you can be vulnerable to. And you want to find someone who really specializes and focuses on grief. Now, they may not focus on, you know, the infertility portion or understanding of around pregnancy loss, but as long as they really can focus on grief and they really, you feel every session that you go to, you feel, okay, you know, you can break down some of those walls. You can really, they they are working with you to open up and really share what's going on that that is going to help you navigate the journey. Because obviously for many of us, we go right back into what our normal is or this new normal of life and not having someone there who is unbiased, who is there really to just help you navigate your feelings and just your mental um, gives you a sense of really stability to to have someone that you can talk to when something does come up and you're, nor- you know, getting back to that new normal. And as you go back to work, as you go back to living your life, um, if something does trigger you, you can have that conversation in a safe place and they can help you understand what you're going through, you know, and make and make some light of it. Now, you may not get all the answers, you know, like I I question God a lot, like why, why, why? And I and I, I don't still think I've gotten that answer. But what I have gotten is a sense of purpose. I've gotten a sense of, I found my joy again. I found a an assignment that I'm on right now to really help other women. 
and help other um, couples. And I think that that may be for you. You may find joy in other things. You may find a new hobby. You may um, do something in the arts. You may really focus on something else that can bring you joy, but also can honor this loss, this ambiguous loss, this loss of expectation, this, you know, the the physical loss that you may have experienced. So I believe therapy is the catalyst for that and that you should continue therapy even when you feel like, oh, I'm getting a little bit better. Because one thing that comes up in therapy relationships is obviously no one has the perfect childhood you know, there's always trauma that goes on. And it may be trauma that you may may not even thought was trauma that may end up coming up in therapy that you may need to acknowledge and really work through before you move forward with your journey. So therapy is so critical. It's so important. And I can't stress it enough. Um, It's one thing I recommend immediately to people who come to me for help. I'm saying, hey, you definitely need to find a therapist, you know, um, for, for those who are listening, psychologytoday.com, therapyforblackgirls.com. Those are some great websites to find you a therapist that is licensed in your state. And then obviously through COVID, everything's been virtual and online. So definitely go find someone that you can, that's unbiased, that you can talk to, that can help you navigate your feelings um, that you're going through now. And then as you continue on your journey, because I think that you still need a therapist as you continue on your journey to parenthood. Well, that and also a therapist to just keep reminding you that you could have done everything right and and potentially still experience a loss. And that loss is not an indication that it was your fault or, you know, something that you may have done. Just like, you know, going back to, yes, you're going to question God why all day long. I think that is just human nature of trying to, you know, knowing that we have a a good, good father and that he loves us and cares about us, but then we experience these traumatic events. And it's just like, but how is that even possible? How is it that, you know, you're a a, a good father, but I just went through the most um, sorrowful, traumatic experience that anybody could ever go through? And I know that for a lot of women and potentially even men and even family and friends around you, it's potentially something very hard to accept. What would you tell those women and, you know, and spouses and about going through that and those expectations? I would tell people to really give themselves grace as they go through the process of therapy. And I think that's the reason why therapy is very difficult for people. And it's hard to find your rhythm with someone um, that you may not be willing to be vulnerable to. That's why I said it's probably going to take you a little bit to find someone that you really can talk to. But for, you know, family and friends, partners who are really wanting to support, you know, their partner through it, you definitely want to give them grace, allow them to really feel the feels and go through the motions and the highs and lows of the grief journey and grief and, you know, the stages of grief, because that is the way they are going to process it. Some people are process it out loud where you can see it and it's very vocal and it's very colorful. And then some people are very inward and they may compartmentalize their trauma. And 
what therapy does is help you break down those compartments and open them up so that you can really take a look in and peek in and understand exactly what happened around that so that you, so that you can put them to a different place and then get to the other side but it's it's i think we should always give ourselves grace because it's you just never know um how much you know, the trauma that you experience has can be compounded from other trauma and then it may impact future traumas or future events that come up in your life. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want women who are suffering from loss with infertility and family building challenges to be aware of? I want them to be aware of their overall reproductive health and really understand it the ins and outs of their menstruation process, you know, how, if their uterus is shaped differently, if they do have underlying conditions, you know, hormonal imbalance like PCOS or, or endometriosis or fibroids that they, or if they do have other issues like diabetes or high blood pressure or lupus, that they understand the, how that contributes on them getting pregnant, staying pregnant, and bringing a healthy baby home, that they know the statistics, they know the evidence-based data that's around it, and then they know what they can do to create a right birth team or a reproductive team around them so that they can carry out the wishes of becoming parents. And that may look like you know, going through, getting all the tests, getting up until a point where you're saying, hey, you know, maybe I don't want to go down this path, but this is another path that I may need to explore and do some more research on. And that may look like adoption, that may look like surrogacy and to not let cost be a factor for them to get to that point. I think that for cost is a factor for a lot of um, Black people in general when it comes to fertility treatments for, you know, and even for adoption and surrogacy. And I don't want people to look at cost being a factor. I think that people have to look at the whole picture and really understand that, you know, if this is something that you really want and that you dream and that you desire, that God will make a way for you to get that. You just really have to do the research. You really have to understand and you have to have the right people around you, um, including doctors and specialists who understand that and understand how you can get to achieve this goal, this end goal, which is to become a parent. Um, so that is what I hope. <laughs> I really, really hope that people um, take away from just being a part of the community and they really understand just how common loss and infertility is amongst Black people. It's so common. Yes. Oh, gosh. Unfortunately, that it is. So my last question for you, I know your 2021 word is resilience. So tell me what your hope for is in 2021. My hope for 2021 is that everyone um, who is connected to me, who's in my circle of influence, who is our, and my family and friends, you know, truly 
define their purpose in 2021 by something that I do, by something that I say, or by some by an action that I take. So, you know, my prayer every day is just, Lord, who can I be a blessing to every day? You know, who can I uplift every day? And my goal is to do that by really surrendering to God and just being resilient in everything that I do. So that is my hope for 2021. And then everything else will fall in a line, whether it's professional goals, it's personal goals, you know, um, all of that will fall into place. But I really am trying to be more of a servant and just saying, you know, who can I be a blessing to, Lord? You know, who are you going to put me in my path today so that I can do that? And really surrendering to whatever whatever he says um, goes this year. So that is what my my goal for 2021 is. Hopefully that's the goal for everybody because we all need to, as as a society, it doesn't matter the color of skin or what you're going through or what everybody is enduring. We all need to kind of, you know, have that servant heart and be willing to also be open to see each other's perspective. And actually, funny enough, that's my 2021 word is um, perspective this year. So that's what I'm trying to be open and being um willing to see what somebody else has to walk through and endure and be open to seeing their perspective on what their, you know, what their journey is. So, but Erica, I just want to thank you so much for sharing with us and for all the important work that you're doing. And not just really for the Black community. I think this goes across the board. It doesn't really matter. You know, when we experience a loss, a loss is a loss. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter if you are straight or gay or whatever. It A loss is a loss and you're going to feel that pain. So I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, it was a pleasure and I know we're going to be speaking again soon. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much. I hope you found this discussion helpful as you weigh your next steps. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its new Instagram and Facebook channel under Family Inceptions. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.